I will awaken speedily for the sake of all sentient beings and for all beings wisdom, compassion and non-clingy awareness. Good. So I'm going to try to make this a fairly brief session this morning and um, see people this evening. Uh, not this morning. Uh, or maybe one this morning if it's really, really urgent because I've got something I need to do this morning. But um, need is always a, a dubious term. <laughs> Pardon? No, I no, 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 no. That's later. <laughs> But uh, if only those that is something very very urgent uh, this morning and um, this evening, then I can meet over uh, Laurel's house there upstairs for see people this evening. Okay, good. At about seven o'clock. Let's any any brief questions. Um, brief, and then uh, rainbows, rainbows this morning. Anything that from your your research, your investigations, your meditative contemplative investigations. And also at uh, 2.30, 3 o'clock, 2.30? Sure. 2.30, a, Qing, a Qigong uh, session. Yeah. Yes? I noticed when I was trying to scan um, if I had a certain speed in my eyes, then it wasn't with intervals. But it, if I slowed it down... And I think I was trying to focus, maybe that's why. It was really obvious, it wasn't subtle. It was obvious what? There were intervals in the slow scan. And I'm assuming that was because of the focusing trying to happen. Could be, could be. Then we have to ask, uh, what what was the experience uh, in the refocusing, in the... um, in between, hmm? but not not publicly. Anybody else try it? Give it a go. Yes. Good. Yes. Uh, I found it quite exhausting. <laughs> you did? Yeah. I, I, I felt like my eyes were. I might, maybe I was. Maybe I was focusing too much. Oh, it could be. Yeah. Trying to. Hold, I, I thought what you were suggesting was to hone in. Yes, it takes time. It takes time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do too much, you'll be exhausted for sure. Yeah. Um, the increase in mindfulness for for many people is very, very exhausting because uh, trying too hard and pushing too hard. It's really the case. So it takes time to build that up until it becomes really effortless. That's all your mind is in. So just like uh, having your eyes open for hours like this, it is very hard on the eye if you're not used to it. So it just take, it takes time. People are moving, trying to move along too fast. So that's that's why focusing too much. You don't really want to be focusing too hard. You're not focusing at anything. You're just having the mind sharper, uh, gaining uh, what's the word? Sh- a sharpness to it, but not uh, pushy. And uh, too much focus, yep, causes a lot of strain for sure. This is a del- delicate art to be focused, to tighten but not over-tighten, to loosen but not over-loosen, but to in- keep increasing the mindfulness 
So, um, uh, what are the signs? Did you know what the signs are? Brighter, feeling more present, more periods, more periods of time where, when there's a feeling of experience of right there, precisely right there with a certain amount of joy. It doesn't have to be bubbly or screaming with bliss, but just a feeling of absolute presence and interest that it could go on for hours. This is really the, the feeling. And it means you can turn the mind on anything. But, but then the ex- there's this problem that people have, which is way too much expectation for something to arise. You see? This is, this is a key. So you're focusing in trying to get something. Where you just want to be there, be there for life. And it could be days, it could be weeks, it could be months. Say this is the thing. Trying to trying to have some breakthrough by by focusing in. Yeah, focus. Too much focus is very tiring on the organism. But that's not the kind of focus we mean. It's a relaxed, bright, almost effortless focus, and it's a real art. It really is a real art. It takes time. Okay. Yeah. There's yes. And that was your name before. I don't know what it is now, but but. Oh, oh, okay. Um, this being really enjoyed watching a cloud form and then dissolve. How many times did you do it? Um, at least four times. More. 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 Oh, it's great. Wonderful. Wonderful. What did you enjoy about it? happens if you were to move your attention away from the dissolving or the happening for even a few seconds? You miss it. And if you're not careful, you could miss your death by not being bright enough, being clear enough, as and also missing birth. Births. How many births? Millions of births in a lifetime. Maybe even misconception. Wouldn't that be unfortunate? Really? So, uh, and there's many conceptions uh, in life, hmm? and many passings away. So, so we tend to focus on the continuity, the stasis, but we don't actually focus on on the minutiae of vanishing, and the minutiae of 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 the burst often a very, very sudden emergence. Yeah? Did it emerge all at once or gradually? But quickly. Suddenly not, suddenly there. Yes? Quite something, isn't it? Yeah. So the art is, um, uh, again, this is to do with uh, Terry's um, uh, question statement, is it takes training to settle in to gathering a lot of moments of birthing and passing away. Uh, instead of going, well, I did it a number of times, I'm supposed to have a revelation, therefore I should go on the next one. But actually it can take 
days and days and days and days and days, and then you say, well, nothing happens. Sometimes it does. Hmm? Something quite dramatic, but not necessarily. It can be months or weeks later that that gathering of data kicks in, just kicks in. And you have to almost be in the right space at the right time, relaxed, and not expecting any meditative, bless your, your dear belly, uh, your, nothing to do with her, nothing to do with her chest at all. Um, uh, in the right relaxed mood of attention for all that cloud watching, which isn't cloud watching, to, to pop in. Okay, this is the art of meditation, art of contemplation. It's enjoying the journey and trusting that the journey uh, bears fruit. And sometimes for months, one has to gather, 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 gather. You need patience. This is not to say that you don't, but I'm just, just saying, you know, this is the way it is. Just lots. Sometimes not, sometimes yes. And then once it does, once revelation occurs, it's very important to keep augmenting it. Otherwise, it may not be deep enough to have its full flowering. I speak from experience. Uh, it's like gardening. You plant seeds, you plant bulbs, and then you you just uh, say, oh, it's all taken care of now. Or you plant a tree on Galliano, it's all taken care of now, and the deer come along and eat it. So sometimes things need um, careful tending like little children, little babies. Even when the baby's born, and it's like, oh my God, this is extraordinary, is it takes tending and tending and tending and nurturing for the the deep ripening to come out. Yeah. Any others? So good. Okay. Are you pretty sure about what to do? Yes? Yes? You can work on it by just having the view and going after it. That's what these classes are about. I hope that you get a feeling that the class is uh, not just a class that I'm in imparting, if you have it, uh, of uh, non-clinging. So you augment it. Every opportunity, augment it, augment it. It pays off. This is, this is the thing. It pays off. It pays off. You know, it's an interesting experience, eh? It pays off. It pays off. You get some reward. But a lot of the reward, a lot of the reward of insight is just doing lots. It's quite something. Trusting that when you do lots, you gather lots. You get full. It's quite, it's quite something, really. Um, it's lovely. lovely. And, and so much of the uh, spiritual life is quite invisible. Quite invisible. How many moments of transient? This, 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 you could put it really personally. How many moments of, of moments of transient mindfulness, mindfulness of transient phenomena, does one need 
to break through to the totality of transience. We simply don't know. It's simply different for everybody. It can be one day, it could be one week, it could be months, it could be years, but we don't know how it's going to, to fruit. So some people are very quick, you know, go out, watch little ripples on the water, and they come back, and, and there is an experience of tr actually transcendence. They don't do anything with it. There's those that struggle for years, struggle for years, and there's this invisible liberation occurring. <laughs> they keep complaining. I'm not having any major transcendent religious experiences, right? And yet they're just flowering and growing, and you know. And then you know, then some, sometime, boom. It's quite quite lovely to watch the different styles of of, of, of beings. Something. Yes, Barry. Just a few more, and then we'll go on to rainbows. There, there is, there is no grasping in awareness. Awareness doesn't grasp, and mindfulness, uh, ultimately, and in a good state, does not grasp at anything. No, that's okay. I'm just, just, just putting that in there, just so you know. Awareness doesn't. Awareness, pristine awareness, doesn't grasp. If it did, you'd be doing the same thing over and over and over again. You could never break out. Awareness doesn't grasp at all. Habit patterns grasp. Habit patterns grasp. Awareness does not grasp. Yes, Barry. What was your question? Um, well, I'm thinking that every time I sit down and eat, I am clinging. Are you sure you're clinging? Is there any clinging going on when you sit down to eat? Let's try this. It, does anybody want to eat anything today? Who would like a really amazing coffee later? Okay. What clung? What had the grasping to having a coffee? Can you find it? The hand went up. Was there a thought process? I want coffee? Yeah. What is it? Where's the grasping? Is awareness grasping? Or is a habit pattern grasping? So when you see the waves on the water, are you mistaking the waves for the ocean? So yes, we can want food. I want food. I want this or that. But there's nothing there but a bunch of rainbow lights and phenomena wanting, only there is meaning given that's called grasping. Where's the grasping? So this is this is real insight work. You look again and again and again to see if there's any grasping to your desire to have a meal. Or is it just a figment? Then you'll say, well, then I won't need food. Well, maybe you do. But so what's wrong with it? What's wrong with the organism needing food? Why is there anything wrong with it? See? So in one view, there's something wrong with wanting to have food. Another view is there's nothing wrong with having food, celebrate it and augment it as a, uh, an awakening process. There's nothing wrong with anything. 
It's simply the wonky views around it. There's nothing wrong with life. It's simply the view. Does it make sense? Simply the view. Simply the habit patterns. Wash the habit patterns out and we can eat all day. We could party all day. There's nothing wrong with it. It's simply the habit patterns that cause friction. So, so just view. Just view. Just purify the view. Purify view. Nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with time. There's nothing wrong with having a watch. There is something wrong with having a compulsive need to look at the clock. There's something that is distressing when one is either too concerned about being too early or being too late, all these kinds of things. But nothing, the watch has nothing to do with clinging. The watch, do you see? Do you know what I mean? The watch has nothing to do with clinging, only habit patterns. There's nothing wrong with food, only the habit patterns around food. There's nothing wrong with sleep. Neither one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, six hours, seven hours, eight hours is wrong, or ten hours. Simply the view uh, around it. You see what I mean? Oh my God, I slept for ten hours last night. I failed my meditation. could be the best thing you ever did. Oh my God, I slept for one hour, but you're wiped out for the day. You have to abandon. This is the beautiful. Abandon all the views for what? Know what is awakeness. Know what non-clinging feels like. So Barry, you don't have to reduce your food. You don't have to do anything about your food at all. Nothing. Simply the habit patterns and views around food. You could eat 15 times a day in retreat, and I couldn't care less, as long as you're mindful and using it for liberation. Doesn't matter to me. Why? Because that might be your path of liberation through the food. It might be that lifting of your spoon to your mouth when, just like Ananda, who lived with the Buddha for, what, 30 years, was his attendant for 20, 30 years? Right? And they were waiting for him to become enlightened. They were going to have a big board meeting, you know, the big Dharma board meeting. All the arhats were going to get together after the Buddha passed away and have a meeting and write and actually record orally what the discourse of the Buddha. But they didn't, they didn't, uh, Nanda had all of it, right? He'd been there for all these discourses for years and they wanted him there and they said, listen, you're, listen, buddy, you don't get invited to this meeting. It's like, like who gets invited to Davos, Switzerland for the big economic conference, you don't, you don't get invited until you're an arahat, until you're fully purified, because we don't trust that what you say is pure of your slants. But we want you there. So he's under a lot of pressure eh, to become an arahat, to, to break through. It was in lying down that it happened. He actually took went maybe for a nap or sleep, lying down. In that lying down is where the experience of the transcendental full, full purification came through. So it could be by eating. This is why in the Tantra tradition, the Gana Chakra, the community uh, feast, is considered to be such a high dharma, is where you take all the food, which is considered to be clinging, wine and beer and meat and all these things, and you elevate it 
into a community celebration of song about liberation. And it's considered really high dharma, really high dharma practice to do that. Is that clinging? Clinging to meat and beer and chang and all these pure and impure things and singing songs and dancing. Right? Is that pure or impure? It's not the activity, it's the mind. So now we're testing to see, can you have a mind of non-clinging bright awareness in the middle of a feast? Yeah, With wine and booze and beer, all transformed into the elixirs of the dakinis and the ducks and the uh, enlightened energies of your being, of your mind. So throw it out. Abandon it. Abandon all clinging for what? Continuum of mindful presence of gathering more awake moments. This is what it's about. Rainbows? Does that help at all, Barry? Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong. No, no, nothing wrong. Bad if you're if you're eating 15 times a day, and not being mindful, then it's a difficulty, perhaps. But if you're eating 15 times, you're snacking and it's mindful, and you're going and you're actually discovering what's happening, and it's used for meditating on transience, and uh, suffer uh, dukkha, uh, and uh, the uh, open spaciousness of all phenomena. Congratulations, you could become an eating yogi. There are sleep yogis. That's all they do is sleep. They sleep and they practice sleep yoga and dream yoga. Sleep, 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 sleep all the time. Highly attained beings. Some of them. Some of them are just sleeping. <laughs> Some are drinking beer. Okay. Abandon all of it. What you wear, what you are, what you do, for what? Pristine awareness. Continuum of pristine awareness, uh, wishing for the enlightenment of oneself and all beings. And you keep honing in, keep honing in, keep honing in, and abandon this mad clinging to to having to have uh, an experience. I need to have an experience. Just gather, gather, gather. It's when you don't want to have an experience. It's when you stop clinging that experience comes. And it can come in dreams. For a lot of people, it comes in dreams. When it comes to insight, there's no experience necessarily. It's just, ah, ah, mm, mm, or whatever noise <laughs> it is. Sometimes, yeah, just. May not even be accompanied by rainbows. Okay, rainbows. Now, there's lots in here. I'm going to, not because I'm just going to skip over things, but we don't need to go into the science of rainbows very much. Um, You can do that later, perhaps when you buy a copy of this text. It's a good book. A good book you could study for years and years and years, uh, but don't need to do that. But I'm going to pick out um, some properties about rainbows. Let me just... um, Here's a description. Now... Rainbows as used as a contemplation in the... There's two different ways, or a number of different ways. We talk about rainbows, and in the text, especially to do with illusory body, or, well, that's a little bit different, but 
to do with contemplating the emptiness of all phenomena. Rainbows are often given as an example. Okay? That can be a little bit different than the a little bit different than the way rainbows are used in a lot of Tibetan meditative texts. Okay? So one has to be a bit, a bit careful about this. Okay, because then we get into visionary or into insight. They can come together, so that's that's also not uh, too problematic. We is this right? Would you say that many beings are in trance when they see a rainbow? They go, oh, look at a rainbow. This is what we need to look at. Oh, look at a rainbow. So I'm I'm. This isn't in here, all right? But I, in reflecting about this this part here, what is it about rainbows? Go, oh, a rainbow. What else do we do with? With things like that. So we. So what is about a rainbow? Let's go around the room. What is about about a rainbow that's so entrancing? There's a pot of gold at the end of it. Okay. There's. We've been told there's a pot of gold at the end of it, and we would like to be wealthy and rich. Yes. Has any of you? Have any of you ever found the pot of gold at the end of a rainbow, or known personally with evidence that a pot of gold, or in the Indian Tibetan Indian tradition, it is the wish fulfilling gems. It's the liberation gems. Underneath the uh, rainbow, whereas in the uh, leprechaun tradition, it's the uh, <laughs> is that right? The Irish, yeah, it's it's the fruits. Fruit Did you say fermented uh, papaya? <laughs> fruit loops. Fruit loops. Yeah, multicolored fruit loops, uh, but uh, gold. So anything else? What is what is it about rainbows that are entrancing and interesting to be? Colors. colors. What is it? But we like about the colors. Don't we see these colors normally? Look at look at Shalan's scarf there. Is that not rainbow colors? So why don't you go <gasps> with that? And you but when you see a rainbow, whoa! Why? This, yes. It's expected and fairly rare. Exactly, unexpected and fairly rare. What is unexpected about it? Transparency. Transparency. So write that down. Transparency. Transparency. There's something about the transparency, the vividness, yes? But wouldn't you say that Shalan's scarf or this collar is pretty vivid? But when you see a rainbow, why do you go, oh, whoa, because isn't that just basically the same? No. Suddenly appears. Rare phenomena, unless you're by a big river that's got major rapids and you basically get to see rainbows all day long. <laughs> and then you go, it would be really nice to see some sun, you know, or whatever. But, but so if, imagine if you were in rainbow, but imagine if you were in rainbows all the time. Would you, would you find them so, you go, oh, there's another one. There's another one. So generally speaking, quite right, generally speaking, rainbows for most of us are a rare phenomena, fairly rare, enough that we go, oh look, surprise. But a Shalan scarf, a scarf around your neck or this, you go, uh-huh, cool. And then it's pretty regular to see colors in various things, isn't it? Yes. Is this a rainbow phenomena at the Niagara Falls? Niagara Falls, yes. So once I was there and okay, everybody made pictures of the rainbow, and suddenly there appeared a huge rainbow over all. Over the people a that second, were... A yes. second huge rainbow. Yes, yes, yes. And 
I remember this feeling, okay, there is always this rainbow and I should make a picture. But then it was really like mystical. It's mystical. So yeah. So it's a phenomena that is full of transparency and light and wonder, yes? What other things do we have that are um, pretty close to rainbows in life that are full of wonder and rarity? Shooting stars. Shooting stars. Oh, look at that. Yes. That's, that's, and that's actually another, that's, by the way, another example. Rarely given, but that's another example of uh, evolution to do with transience is a shooting star. Yeah. That's often given. Yes? A solar eclipse, yes. Very mystical, although um, some people like to watch them and some don't. What else? Northern Lights. Northern Lights, yes. Dancing Northern Lights. Anything else? How about, have you ever come across a flower that's really unusual or different to you and it's full of light and radiance and you go, oh my God, look at that. Ever had that? Mm-hmm. And it's gone a couple days later? Or the scent of a coffee coffee flower, only three days, one day, blooms, and it's like jasmine, you know? Or the, the scent of uh, jasmine, you're walking by a jasmine, oh my God, or, or roses, yes? What else do we have, because I want to come to this very quickly to this morning. What else do we have in life that blooms and then vanishes, that people become entranced by? I'm leading you into something here that's, that to me is the central, not, not at all dealt with here, the central point of the rainbow, besides all of its other mis- mystical values and to do with, uh, I'll tell you, you know, about Togyo and Zogchen practice and so on, but what is it that, that is really capturing our attention here? Birth and death. Birth and death. The bloom of life, the bloom of radiance. And where do we see the bloom of radiance? Let's get real. Let's prove it to insight, not mystical phenomena and lights. But this is about liberation. This is completion yoga. What is it that we get fooled with in life all the time? The bloom of what? The bloom. The bloom of what? Hmm? The bloom of youth. The bloom of youth. The bloom of life believing it's going to go on. Hmm? The fooling of this, the beautiful man, the beautiful woman, the beautiful politician, the, be- the beauty, which is what? Of, it's, it's an illusory phenomena imposed by the mind that only has a certain period. Did you see? A flower, the beauty of the flower, then the rotting jasmine. You know, there's, there's, I don't, I forget the name, but there's an amazing, one of the largest flowers in the world is found in Borneo. I've seen pictures this big, giant flower, and it stinks. Supposedly it just reeks for like so far around it, but it tra- it's, it's there to attract certain bugs to it. For what? Reproduce, reproduction. Yeah, it's all about mating. But it blooms and it reeks for us. But for other creatures, the most beautiful smell in the world, right? And look at orchids. Orchids are the most considered to be one of the most successful plants ever on the planet. At least 30,000 different species of orchids 
what are orchids on about? Look at their structure. What is it on about? Sex. Don't think it's anything else. Sex. Beautiful blooms to attract specific species of creatures for that rare period of time, right? So that they can gather food, so that they can mate. If that species dies out and the creature doesn't evolve, it too dies out. It's that specific. So what's this thing about rainbows? Wow. And then they're gone. So a rainbow has the property of what? This is beautiful. Rainbows are wonderful. Where's the clinging? Clinging to rarity. Clinging to transparency. Clinging to utter beauty that's fleeting and, tr and transient. And now tell me what happens when you go up to a rainbow? Get closer and closer to a rainbow. There's nothing there that you can put your hand on. You can't grab a rainbow. You can't strangle a rainbow. You can't have a rainbow. Have you ever put a rainbow in your pocket? Have you ever taken a rainbow home? You see? So you can't get your hands on a rainbow. You can only imagine a rainbow. And there's no pot of gold. And if you go send people out to get the rainbow, what happens? They never return. Because <laughs> they keep searching for it. And as soon as you move your head, it's changed. You say, no, 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 over there. And they go over there. And then you go over there, and you go, no, no, over there. And then because you've changed your head, the position of the rainbow changes. No, no, you should be over there. They're saying, no, we can't see over there. So they're ephemeral. And as soon as you move your hand into a rainbow or get close, what happens? There's nothing there. Just space and light. And what would happen if you could, if you could have rainbow, which you can do. We can do that, you know. We could create rainbows all day long. How would we do that? Crystal, prism. Have you ever done that? Mm -hmm. I have. And uh, it becomes ho-hum. People that research uh, rainbows, it's what they do all day. Uh huh. And they don't see rainbows as uh, wall anymore. What do they see? Properties of rainbows. Yeah, they're studying properties of rainbows. It's just like everywhere. Rainbows are everywhere. <laughs> well, that was a pretty good rapid eye movement period of... Uh, of and then, I almost had that rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> and then... In rainbows. Hopefully not too distressed. Hmm? The palette... <laughs> The soft palate is hitting against the hard palate, and all you have to do is change its position, and you'll be fine. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you get an idea about rainbows? Rare phenomena, but how would we produce rainbows all day? Prism, right? And what else? What else can we do? We used to do as kids. Did you ever do this as kids? Just uh, spray a hose of water. Mm -hmm. And then you can watch rainbows dancing all, as many hours as you want. Right? And, 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 and the other thing, just thinking about rainbows coming out of a jet of water that, that get just a burst of spray, is you can, if you put your, your, your head in the right position, 
what you see, not an arc, but you can see circles. Rainbows form little uh, round uh, entities. So a rainbow, you know, is not an arc. It's a full circle, except that the properties of where you are, the environment, cuts off the circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very hard to see a full circle because everywhere you look, you block it off. Either you block it off, the rock face blocks it off, something in the environment blocks off the full the full circle. But sometimes you see bigger and bigger arcs, and then sometimes, of course, you can see double rainbows, and that's very mystical. Right? We contribute all kinds of meaning to double rainbows. What happens when you see rainbow light in meditation? Whoa! Why? Why? There's a phase you can go through. Some people go through a phase of radiance, tremendous radiance, for, for even for years. Radiance, radiance, like opalescent light. That's what exactly what it's like. Opalescent light everywhere. Why? Because the senses already have that. You couldn't see the rainbow unless your senses were rainbow-like. Oh, this gives you a clue. So on one side, the insight is transience, grasping for the rainbow that you can't grasp after. It just keeps vanishing. The beauty keeps vanishing, keeps vanishing, keeps vanishing. And then what else? There's nothing substantially there. About what? Light and moisture. You go up to it, and you realize it's just light and moisture. Change your head, the rainbow changes. Move this way, the rainbow changes. A cloud passes in front of the sun, it vanishes. Did you see? So what are we doing all the time? This is a metaphor for illusion. What is the dumb person doing all the time? Chasing after rainbows. Chasing after that which is illusory, transient, rare, and thinking it's the most important. And there will be no pot of gold. This is, this is the illusory nature. Not necessarily the illusory body quality, but the illusory nature. It's so enticing. Why? Let's let's listen to this. And Terry had it, right? You didn't, but Terry did. <laughs> He's so better. He's so much better than all of you. But so what 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 is it? What is it about rare phenomena? Just think about the clinging to rare phenomena. Because right now is not entrancing and interesting enough. That's all it is. Right now is not it. There's always a rainbow over there that's more interesting. There will always be a cup of coffee more excellent than the next. Ever pl- anybody play golf for a while? There's going to be that amazing golf shot. It happened last week. It's for sure going to happen again in the future. You're looking, waiting for that rare golf shot from 80 yards where you nail it and it gets within two inches of the of the cup. And you go, oh my God, miracles, miracles. I can do it again. And where's the ball go? In the trees. But what's the difference between the ball going in the trees and the ball going two inches in front of the cup. What is the difference, in essence? Not a thing. Nothing at all but clinging. 
And when you get used to it and you enjoy it, the balls that land in the trees and in the rough is just as interesting and challenging as what? Being on the fairway and having a lovely uh, shot. Isn't that true? And what's, what's more interesting than having a lousy cup of coffee that, that actually elevates your ability to discriminate? Do you, do you see? You need those. But what are we searching for? Perfect meditative experience every day and every hour and every minute. And revelations and rainbows floating around in your meditative day, giving you all kinds of wonderful, pretty experiences. When it's in front of you right now, what is more beautiful than clouds appearing and disappearing in its own right? What more are you searching for? What more? I'm bored by the waves on the lake. Give me a revelation. <laughs> Give me rainbow light. And when the rainbow light comes out, because you know the clouds part and so on, there's been some misty rain, you go, that must be it. It must be something to do. I've been watching the, the waves on Lake Adiland for five hours now, and over there's a rainbow. That must be it. Wow. You see? You see how the clinging is massive to what? Rare phenomena. Gold, gems, sapphires, rubies, not just an, just not an ordinary sapphire. But the cornflower blue sapphire from Sri Lanka, which the you know, is really rare. Well not so rare in Sri Lanka. Sri rare in Thai, Thai rubies. <laughs> Or Cambodian, or sorry, Cambodian sapphires in Cambodia. And if it's found in Cambodia, I guarantee it's going to be cornflower blue from Kashmir. Yes, from Kashmir. They're not mined anymore. They mined them out a year, hundred years ago. So, do you feel the clinging? The clinging for rare, transient phenomena that entice you that you want so badly to have, that you're doing what? You're doing okay. You're doing okay. But what is the rainbow? So the rainbow now, now what happens with rainbows? We should just do a little physics here. What is it with rainbows? It's all to do with light and light bends. It's cool, eh? The pro- one of the properties of light is it can be bent by a material. So when light comes through glass, there's the different wavelengths of light, violet and red and yellow and green and blue and so on. They actually are moving, they are actually at different wavelengths. And when they hit a medium, if, they, if they're going through a vacuum, what happens? They're moving at the same speed. But when uh, light goes into a different material, it actually gets bent depending on the wavelength. The wavelength determines how much it's going to be bent. Okay? That's how it works. Glass, water, water droplets, little droplets of water act as a lens, just like a prism. And the back surface of the water droplet 
acts as a mirror. The light passes through the orb, the little droplet, which is like an orb, to light. The water droplet is like the size of planet Earth. Okay, If you're a particle of light, I suspect that the size of the droplet in equivalence would be either the size of the Earth or the size of the entire solar system. Wouldn't that be something? Imagine the scale. If you're a photon, one packet of light, then that water droplet is probably the size of the universe. Okay? So now you're passing through as a, par- as a particle wave of light, and it's bouncing off the back of the uh, droplet and being refracted back through at 42 to 40 degrees, something like that. Okay? And each ray of light, each wavelength of light, visible light, is going to be bent at a different rate. It's slowing down. The light is actually slowing down in water. It slows down in glass. Every single gas, argon gas is going to slow down light differently. Bromine, fluorine, every different media uh, slows down light depending on its wavelength, and it's going to bend it. That's what that's what that's what it is. So normally we see scattered light, which is white light, all different colors, scattered light. But when it gets bent, we start to see specific wavelengths coming out. It's cool. That's all. That's really what it is. For a lot of people, it's a mystery. Yeah, rare phenomenon, mystery. But if you study it, as it was as it's been studied in labs for hundreds of years, it's a um, a property that you can work with. As a matter of fact, it's so advanced now the understanding of bending of light. I've mentioned this to you before. What has happened in recent years? People can bend light around objects so you can't see them. Those are called, called cloaking devices. And the first cloaking devices have now been invented, where People can stand and look, and you cannot see the object. Why? They have learnt how to bend light, both with the material and the way in which light is given with different wavelengths of light, so that you can't see light. This is because there's a profound understanding of how rainbows and light uh, work. I'm I'm actually dealing with this chapter... Uh, backwards. So another way of summarizing it, every different material has a different molecular structure. Depending on the molecular structure, light travels through at different speeds and is bent at a different rate. That's, That's what it is. We happen to have lots of water droplets around and we can see rainbows quite frequently. We could also show you how rainbows work. Uh, he gives a very good example in here of if we if we arranged ourselves in rows and all had to carry a like a, a funeral pres- uh, um, um, coffin. coffin or something like that, and we all had to stand and not not actually uh, let go of where our hands are, and we walk through a street that's that's paved, and then we had to go to a muddy turn and go on to a muddy road or even walk through a muddy road, we would see that all of us would start to walk at different rates. That's exactly how it works. And if we had to turn from a road that is flat and paved into a muddy uh, swamp, right, 
those who are in the inside of the turn and those who are on the outside of the turn are going to walk at a different rate and maybe even stumble because they actually have to move at a different rate through the mud. Because that's exactly how it works. So uh, light traveling through air is moving at a different rate than light moving through glass. Light moving through water moves at a different rate and so on. So it bends different different routes. Yeah, I'm not going to... Uh, I'll just give you a little bit, a bit, bit here. In order to see a rainbow, we have to have the sun at our back and drops of water, rain or the spray caused by a fountain or waterfall, in front of us. As a ray of light enters a drop of water, is bent and broken up into different colors. The back of the raindrop functions like a mirror, so each of the various now distinct rays is reflected and bent once again as it leaves the drop and travels back to our eyes. Light of different colors leaves the drop at different angles relative to the incoming beam of light. Red comes out at an angle of 42 degrees, blue light at 40.6, and all other colors at angles in between. Cool, isn't it? Mm -hmm. All those can be measured with precision and have actually, I think, for about 250 years. There's a lot of people who have studied rainbows for a long time in detail. It's a very, very well-known phenomenon. Why is a rainbow an example of illusion? It is an excellent illustration of an object that does not exist in the way in which it appears to exist. That, again, is another example. It's a rare phenomena that is entrancing, but as soon as you go to cling to it, <clears throat> it doesn't exist as you think it does. This is, this is important. This is very, very important. So when you see a bridge, as he, as he points out, when you see a bridge in the distance, what happens? If we go and we see a bridge over there, what can we do with it? We can travel to it and we can touch it and we can measure it, yes? Mm -hmm. But when we go to travel to a rainbow, what happens? It doesn't change the distance. No, it just keeps, yeah, every time we change, it changes. Mm -hmm. And we keep chasing after it and, and we, can't, we can't find it. This is, this, is, this is why it's an important phenomenon. Because then you'll say, well, we can do that with a bridge, but we can't do that with a rainbow. But it turns out, just like the cup, the cup example from yesterday and so on, we think we can touch the bridge. We think we know what the bridge is, but in fact, what? We really can't know what the bridge is. It is a transitory phenomenon. Now, this is an important principle of rainbows. Rainbows, generally speaking, last how long? Not very long because the sun is constantly moving. Well, the planet's moving. Not the sun. The planet's moving. And we like to move about, yes? And the sprays of water don't usually stay the same. So it's a transient phenomenon. How long does a bridge last? Long time, right? Not, not necessarily. Some bridges fall down within years. Car goes over them, fall down. Right vibration, right wavelength. You know that, eh? Some major bridges had built with great engineers. And a car went right over them, and it started a wavelength, it started a, a waveform through it. You've probably studied it in, in architecture, yes? And what happens? The whole bridge, most of the bridge just comes right down like this. Boom. 
It's also happened with buildings. It's happened with buildings that are, look appear to be sound, and the right phenomena happens, maybe an earthquake, and it just comes down to like that. Another building beside it, standing. We normally take all this before us as what? Solid, existing, long-lasting entities. What is it about rainbows? Short, rare, illusory phenomena. What's the same? What's the similarity? All that is short, rare phenomena, but not in our human consciousness. Could you imagine what would happen if we treated all sentient creatures as short-lived, rare, magnificent, beautiful phenomena, no matter what they appear like? Hmm. Could you imagine what that would do? This is to do with this. Not just in the bloom of youth, but all the way through life. All the way through life. Because what are you experiencing with your eyes and your ears and your touch and your nose? You see, this is where now the samatha comes in, the uh, tranquility, radiance. The more you settle down, the more you become calm and clear, the more the universe becomes a radiant, rainbow-like experience all day long, not just rare. So when you see a rainbow, you don't go, (gasps) Look, there's a rainbow! Everything is rainbow-like because it's transient, magnificent, interesting phenomena. Not just rare things. Even the most ordinary things, if you investigate them, are absolutely, stunningly interesting, no matter what it is. This is why the there's a period of time in good spiritual work, which you hopefully will emerge from, where everything is thespian, you know? Oh my God, look at the tree! Oh my God, the water! It's just like Tara's happy Buddha palace, or what, you know, all this stuff, right? <laughs> everything is seen as something it isn't. Trees and birds, the bird must be the bird of such and such. Right? And people go through a period of this, where everything, it's rain because the, the eyes light up. They're, pu- they're getting pure of all that muck. They've been in retreat for a month or two months or three months or a year, and literally, you touch the side of a tree and bark, and it's like, it's like touching a uh, rainbow light. Hmm? Not because of our, because the senses are dancing. They're dancing. And maybe some of you experience this. Yeah, here maybe, beginning to light up, not just your eyes but your ears. Sounds that are my God, that motorcycle. Not even a motorcycle, just the sound of a motorcycle. Oh my God, that's that's really a beautiful sound. The jack, can you hear the jackhammer outside the window? It's really cool. So there's this phase where all phenomena take on an angelic rainbow radiance, instead of a rainbow, radiant form of colors you've never seen. Who's had meditation? Colors you've never seen before. Oops, come on. You're Westerners, you can put your hand up. Don't have to go, oh, no, I couldn't do that. You've had colors, just glorious colors. They're just so radiant, like looking into opalescent with a microscope. You know, it's beautiful. Fluorescent colors. Smells that are, you don't even know what the smell is. It's intoxicating. Tastes that are extraordinarily 
You see? And then what does this mean? What should you do? You should pass through this into what? All phenomena is glory. All phenomena is interesting. All phenomena is the nature of rainbow. And it's no longer, oh, ooh, ah, ooh, ye. Everything really is fascinating. Not just fascinating, meaningful. Meaningful. There's signs everywhere of the glory of, of life, glory of the universe, glory of freedom. Now, the other thing that he points out, which I, I quite find intriguing and really good, is normally when we get these, these beautiful radiant phenomena, they're usually private in the dream or to our own experience, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Like a, good, like a meditative experience where this beautiful angelic form or crystal vase or whatever appears to us, but we could never describe it to anybody else. Well, it was kind of like they go... You know, or like a beautiful radiant Buddha figure sitting in space, or maybe a, a beam of light comes through in meditation, or or a symphonic sound that's just, oh man, how do you describe that to anybody? And they go, that's cool. You know that look? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's private. But what about what is it about rainbows that isn't private? It's not private. Rare, radiant magical, mystical phenomena that other people can see with you. You see? And then it vanishes. So this is this is something something unique. Like like lightning, like uh, shooting stars. Things that are rare phenomena, they're absolutely stunningly beautiful. But Just read this. This is kind of this is fun. The way the intersection between physics and illusion. Quite quite enjoy it. In, in the case of a rainbow, it becomes apparent that when you and your friend both observe a rainbow, both of you see a distinct object. Your rainbow is the intersection of the drops of water with the cones beginning at your eye. Your friend's rainbow is the intersection of the cone beginning at his. That's how you can see. A rainbow. It's actually the way the focal the focal point. It is therefore never possible for two people to observe the same rainbow, even though you think it is. Now this is another level of illusion. So no matter how close you are and how good friends you are, you will never really agree upon what you're seeing in the rainbow. And you can do that. Oh, look at the violet. Oh, can't quite see that violet light the same way because you're standing over here. No, no, come over here. Can't you see it? Don't you see the green the way I see it? No. Cool. Huh? It is never possible for two people to observe the same rainbow. Each of you observe a distinct object, and even though these objects might partially overlap, they are quite distinct. There is no unique rainbow involved in the situation any more than a case in which two people simultaneously dream of missing a bus Missing a bus involves a unique bus. So the illusion is that you're looking at a unique phenomenon. The illusion is that you're looking at the same phenomenon. 
It's neither the same nor unique. The illusion is you think you are. If I look at Terry back there, we if I say, oh, hi, Terry, and we all look, we assume we're all looking at the same Terry. We are not. It's completely distinct, and yet the nature of seeing is the same. We see a phenomena. We assume it's a, it's the same phenomena. It is not the same phenomena. I like this. this I, I, I like just underlying a few beauties here. The difficulty of determining where the rainbow, where the ends of a rainbow touch the ground, is purely a practical one. Of course, we cannot do this ourselves. For as soon as we move, the rainbow does too. Now he goes on to a very important argument, which I'm not going to go into this morning, about how. Observing a rainbow is different than observing a cup because a cup, even with two observers, one observer on this side, the cup's different. One observer on this side, the cup, it's different, right? And you can say the cup is a different cup to the different observers, but you can turn it around and say, uh-uh, there's the, there's the handle. Now I see it. But this is, this is a case of familiarity. It's really about familiarity. So you have to watch familiarity and illusions. But the thing about a rainbow is, if when you move your, your head like this, the cup doesn't move. But when you do this, the rainbow apparently moves. This is, this is why it's an illusory phenomenon. You can't get, it's hard to get yourself around the rainbow. It's much easier to get yourself around a so-called physical object. But you may find in time that it's also very difficult to get around a physical object because as your mindfulness increases, you realize you're making up the story about the physical object at every moment. It just doesn't appear like a rainbow. This is quite beautiful. If we imagine that the tea bowl behaved like a rainbow, strange things would happen. Imagine the bowl stands on the desk between us. Both of us get up to lift the bowl. Rather than taking hold of the same object, we'll end up bumping into one another. <laughs> you just go right through it, yes? That doesn't happen with objects. But it does happen with rainbows, so it's really, ooh. We'll be holding nothing in our hands. Now, it appears... It hardly makes sense to consider the situation in which we see a rainbow as one in which a single object, namely the rainbow, is seen by both of us. If this was the case, we should at least be able to agree on where this object is relative to other unmoved parts of the landscape. But since the location of the rainbow we see depends on where we are, such an agreement is impossible. This is why it's illusory. What else is illusory by location and view? Everything, you see? So you can use the rainbow as a metaphor, as a way in, a key, a door, to realizing that everything we put our hands on is illusory. And it's not brought out in the book, but I, if you take the time to use your touch and go around with your eyes closed around a room, as I've instructed you to do, and given that to you, and you really work at this, you'll see that you really don't know what the room is. Before you thought it you thought it did, but now you don't. 
And if you were to go up with your eyes and look at rocks and look at wood and so on, you would see that you really don't know what's there. And you could not agree upon it with two different people. You see? It's almost the more you know, the less you know. Things have a way of keep moving on you. This is the nature of science. Quite, quite lovely. The mo- uh, we often have a statement when we get some science we get together. The more we know, the less we're going to find out. Guarantee. This is like a private joke. You know, you start into a body of research, and you go. And people say, oh, "Are you going to solve that?" And you go, "Actually, probably never. We're just going to get deeper and deeper into the mystery of whatever it is." And just when you think you got a, you got an idea of how it works, you get a deeper idea of how it works. And you get a deeper idea of how it works. And then when a new machine comes along, which extends your senses, oh my gosh, isn't that utterly stunning? We had no really idea how it really was working. You see? It's beautiful. That's why you want to have young graduate students come along. Why? Because they ask really stupid questions like, why would you ever do it that way? Well, because we do it that way. Well, why would you ever do it that way? I don't see that. Ah. I don't see that. And they go off and do something that completely blows open the field. Why? Because they're coming from it from another point of view. Rainbows are illusory objects if we assume that they behave in the same way as ordinary things, like tea bowls and bridges. A rainbow changes a position as we move, so we cannot get any closer to it. Nor is there a single rainbow two different people can observe. The two objects share sufficiently many properties to make it convenient, this is the word, convenient to identify them for many purposes. Convenient to identify. But if we investigate the light of the rainbow in the light of reason, it becomes apparent that this identification is mistaken. Isn't that a beautiful quite like that. That's a beautiful statement. Worthy of contemplation. Two objects share sufficiently many properties to make it convenient to identify them for many purposes. People, two people, yeah, they're pretty much the same. Two identical twins, aren't they the same? They look the same. Not even close. Not even close. I told you about the story, and there's only a few people I can share this with who know what I'm talking about. But uh, in New Zealand, we were growing up clones. You know what a clone? That's a single cell. We take a single cell. We put it into growth media, that much. Put it into a bottle. One single cell, microscopic. We put it in there, and it divides and divides and divides. And 10 days or 8 days later, the whole bottle is full of hundreds of thousands of what? Clones from that one cell. Shouldn't they be identical? For an ordinary observer, they're identical. But when you're in a lab and you're looking for hours and hours and days under a microscope, which you can see them this big, they're like right there, that big, you go, every one of them is completely different. Isn't that something? Uniquely, and you're looking at millions. And you start to realize... They're completely, they're supposed to be identical genetic clones. And there's a million in the bottle, and they all look this different. And I was talking to a, a colleague the other day on the phone, 
who's, who also has seen a lot of these cells that we've, I've studied. And she goes, oh yeah, you know that experience, don't you? There's not many who know, know what that's like to, to do this and just come across this experience, which is, oh my God, every one of them is complete. But it takes time because you have to start identifying different features. And can you extend this to all phenomena? Absolutely. All phenomena are unique, but what's the same with all phenomena? What's the single taste of all phenomena? There's no coffee that's unique. There's no tea that's unique, and there's no human being that's unique. What's the same nature all the way through it? Emptiness. So we say that all phenomena, including beings, is stamped with the same phenomena, same nature. It's called emptiness. That's what you're looking for, folks. It's called insight meditation. What's the nature of all phenomena? Not always focusing on, oh, and oh, and the waves are bigger today. Is that significant? No. The waves are smaller today. Is that significant? The clouds are pink, like last night. Is that significant? The clouds are dark and looming. Is that significant? What are we habituated to? Rarity, unusualness, and this has to do with our evolutionary history. Because if you were to walk through a forest, ever done this? You walk through a forest and something makes a sudden movement, what do you do? You stop, you run, you look, you take it in, and within a split second, you either flee or you act on it. And if you're not wired that way, what happens? You die. (laughs) You die. Not in these nice woods anymore. But in a natural forest where there's jaguars, uh, where there's lions, leopards, hyenas, uh, snakes, and so on, what happens when you walk through the forest and you don't react well? You die. Rinpoche, Nams Rinpoche told me of a, of a story when he was doing walking practice at night in um, Burma. Uh, Burma or Thailand? One night. And um, his foot came down and just he just sensed something at night. And it was a scorpion, mm. just about to step on a scorpion, you see? That's the kind of... So you need to be able to pick out the rare phenomena. You need to be able to pick out the discrepancies in the environment. But it also leads you to what? Then, always hunting after the rare phenomena. What are we hunting for every day in an insight retreat? What are we hunting for in the insight retreat? Are we hunting for the rare phenomena? I can't wait for the super revelation. I can't wait for the streaming rainbow lights to come down through my, my, my crown and fill my body. What are you looking for? The stamp of emptiness in all phenomena, no matter what it is. Do you see? Do you get a feeling? That's what you're looking for. That's why you want to gather the, the, the data of every breath. In, out, in, out, rising, falling, rising, falling. How boring. Until the mindfulness gets clear enough that you experience, this is a phase, watch for it. You'll know you're actually doing really well and things are moving when every breath is experienced as unique and different and distinct. The rise is distinct. 
the continuity is distinct, the fall is, is distinct, and there's complete interest. Every breath is absolutely unique. But what is every breath stamped with? Stamped. Mudra, stamped. The nature of emptiness. It's transient and it has no substantial nature other than the projection of the mind. So if you keep looking for pretty interesting phenomena, you'll miss the stamp of emptiness. You see? That's why insight is hard for many. They're looking for some unique phenomena instead of what's the global phenomena. What is it about phenomena that is the same? No, no, no. I'm not interested in the same. I want the unique things. I'm waiting for a trumpet sound. You won't get it. Well, you will get it. That's called samatha. But if we investigate the light of the rainbow in the light of reason, sharp mind, let's say, or clarity, it becomes apparent that this identification is mistaken. Rainbows are not inherently illusory, however. They are not illusory. What is illusory and what is not depends on our expectations about how things should behave. That's what's illusory. The way we want them to be. The clinging of how we want it to be is illusory. A rainbow is only a phenomena, right? The very fact that you can't get at a rainbow and find the pot of gold is not weird and illusory. It simply is what it is. Hmm? Only our mistaken beliefs and our superimpositions make it illusory. It's simply not illusory. It's just transient. That's emptiness. Transience is uncomfortable and bewildering and a mystery until you face transience as the nature of all phenomena. It's bewildering until you face all phenomena as it is. That too is transient. If there were more rainbow-like objects around, bridges and tea bowls might be considered to be the ones with bizarre properties. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Bless you. Could you imagine? Rainbows everywhere. And then when you see a cup, you go, oh, isn't that amazing? Imagine living in a world where it's just rainbows and coming into being, you know, just, just transient phenomena. People appear and then they disappear. And then when a cup stays around, you can actually drink from it. You go, this is amazing. This must be like a Buddha realm activity. If there were more rainbow-like objects around, bridges and T-bowls might be considered to be the ones with bizarre properties, since they stay where they are if we move towards them, and since different people can reach an agreement about their location, and different people can reach, reach an agreement about their locations. To this extent, rainbows are only illusory because they constitute a minority when compared to all other kinds of things observed in the world. But I agree, but that's not really why they're used here. Okay, that's nice. That's, that's true. But let's now summarize 
and then I'm going to come back to the nature of, of rainbows uh, in the uh, meditative, also in the, in the uh, liberative tradition of, of Zogchen and Mahamudra. So rainbows, I've just made a couple of notes here for you to, for, for meditation purposes, to contemplate. Rainbows keep changing position as we move. Ordinary objects normally stay put. Normally stay put. If we use our awareness, we're going to find out they become what? Ordinary objects. They may stay put, but what happens? They can never be identified for what they are. Truly. So they become like rainbows. You see? No? I'm seeing some... An ordinary object, a rainbow keeps vanishing depending on where we move, keeps changing. An ordinary object appears to be in the same place, but that's not the point. The point is, as soon as we investigate an object with real concerted activity, we see that we keep getting new views of it. The view that we had before, whether it was visual or taste or touch, right, is always changing. Every time we take a sip of tea or coffee, is the same taste or a different taste? Different. It's a unique, different taste. What then is the coffee or the tea? It's not the same from moment to moment. It's not even the same tea or the same coffee. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. Will it be ever again? Never. Ever, ever again. So depending, no matter how you measure it, even with instruments, it's constantly changing and vanishing and arising before your eyes. It's only illusory that you think it's fixed and definitive. What is a rainbow due to? In terms of dependent origination, which is the nature of emptiness, what is it due to? Light. No sunlight, no rainbow. It's that simple. If we turn off, turn off the lights in here, we don't see the cup, but we may feel the cup, but now we have a different cup. And if you never saw that cup before and you touch it, you may not, you, because you don't trust your, your, uh, your, your touching, your senses, your other senses, you may only feel you know the cup when you see the cup. But then you don't know the cup when you see the cup because you've got four or five other senses. You see how fixated and habitual we are? Do a dark retreat sometime, when you're ready. And it's very good to take the fixation of the eyes away to where you're, you're experiencing a whole range of radiance. You can actually see. You can see things without any light whatsoever. You hear things in ways you've never heard before. You pick up things. It's fantastic. A level of radiance is extraordinary. Number three, tra- it's a transient phenomena Beautiful, then gone. You should reflect on that. How much we are as human beings entranced and other creatures by youthful beings genetically, uh, what's the word for it, shaped in certain ways that are appealing for reproductive purposes. You know that, right? I think you all know that. The human uh, nose and, and eyes and so on are programmed to 
uh, and then culturally programmed, genetically programmed, culturally programmed, to pick up distinct features about other creatures that match cultural genetic expectations of what is ideal for mating purposes. This is partly why we generally, generally do not mate with our own brothers and sisters and close family members because the smell genetically is too close. It's a safeguard. If the map is altered, then you you get incest on that level. But if it's not altered, then generally speaking, the smell of a brother and sister too close doesn't mesh. And some people, even if they're very beautiful to our eyes, they, they match a cultural uh, definition or a gen- even a genetic component of the right proportions, the smell may not be the right component for, for, for mating. You see? All these things. So you have to understand why this fixation on uh, beauty. But then it vanishes. So how would you pull yourself out of this? How would you bring yourself out of this fixation on the ideal being, the ideal image, the ideal flower? How would you do this? How would you, you know, bring yourself out of this? Look at decaying things. Exactly, yes. Look at study. Immerse yourself in decaying things. Immerse yourself in things that are not considered beautiful until you actually gain the wonder and radiance of that which is extraordinarily beautiful, even though it doesn't fit the normal cultural perception uh, of beauty. So I've covered all these, but basically these come down to uh, three properties of insight. Three properties of, of classic insight. Anicca, dukkha, anatta. The phenomena is transient. Rainbows are wonderful because we can meditate on transient, short-lived phenomena due to causes and effects, due to dependent origination. The cloud moves in front of the sun, the rainbow's gone. We move position, it's gone. The rain stops, it's gone. Did you see? It dep- all phenomena only exist by dependent origination, by causes and effects, and then they're gone. This we can meditate on all day, all day, all day, all day, all day, all day, until we gain breakthrough. Yeah. Dukkha. Where's the dukkha? Because it's transient, we want it to last, it's dukkha. If it's beautiful, we want it. If it's ugly, we don't want it. Once we have the rainbow too long, we feel the rain dripping down our back, and we go, enough of these rainbows, I'm soaked. And I've been damp for five days now. I'm shivering, I'm hypothermic, and actually I don't like rainbows anymore. (laughs) Possible? Very possible. Yeah, they're cool, but actually I'm freezing. (laughs) And and actually I'm damp, and I've been soaked for days, and uh, get me out of here. Dukkha. Conjoined with what you want is dukkha. Conjoined with what you don't want is dukkha. Yeah. Yeah. And then anatta. Anatta. 
as much as you reach for the rainbow, you're not going to find it. Your hand's going to pass right through it. Even a water hose with little droplets and rainbow, little circle of rainbows, you put your hand on it, and it's gone. Like a bubble? We're going to have soap bubbles pretty soon, you know? Bubbles? We're going to study bubbles pretty soon. That's not this one, but the next day. We've got uh, one, two, three more to go. Okay? So you reach out for the bubble. What happens when you reach out for the soap bubble? I'm going to have you do this, by the way, for hours. Hours. You can make bubbles. Can you hold it? You have to be very delicate. Hold it. What's it eventually going to do? Isn't that fantastic? Reach, gone. Reach, gone. Hold it, it's gone. Hold it, it's gone. If you don't hold it, what happens? It's gone. Have you heard the statement? I'm going to let go. (laughs) Clinging. I'm not going to involve myself. Clinging. I'm going to get involved with compassion. Clinging. I'm full of love. Clinging. I'm practicing non-clinging awareness. Clinging. I'm a Zogchen meditator. Clinging. I'm an insight meditator. Clinging. I'm a monk. Clinging. I'm a nun. Clinging. I'm a yogi. Clinging. I'm a yogi. Clinging. Why? The moment you say it, it's vanished. The moment you say it, you squashed it. Ever tried to pick up a delicate bug? Very delicate bug to look at? Or a flower? Have you ever had this experience and you squashed it? Mm-hmm. I do this all the time. I mean, I, I get to experience this all the time in the work, not the work, but the, the uh, craft of science. Tiny little creatures. Tiny creatures, you want to study them? They're so delicate. Little glass bodies. It just takes a pipette to move in the wrong way. Very delicate, very transient phenomena. And there's billions of them dying out in the water every day. Why? They just die. They get swallowed by fish. A motorboat runs through them, probably killed a trillion cells. You want to be transient? Be a plankton. Trillions gone. Soup, little little oil droplets floating in the water. Little glass bodies falling to the ocean floor. The bacteria love it, right? You can see it under a microscope. They just go right at all those nutrients. And they want all those cells to break apart. They're waiting. Then you have other creatures smashing them and bashing them. Little microscopic creatures trying to break the the cell wall open. Boom, boom. It's, It's really aggressive down there. So... Closer you get, it's vanishing. Anatta. Nothing substantial that you can grab at all. And why do we practice this? Because eventually the grasping to self lets go. Why practice transience all day? And anatta, anatta, anatta. No substantiality. Why? Because eventually it will click physiologically. The organism will map, the map will flip. It's called turning about in the seat of consciousness. That's actually a technical name. Gotrabhyana. Gotrabhyana, the knowledge of turning about, of change of lineage. The conscious will shift around, the map will flip over, and the conscious will let go of all clinging. That's how it happens. So why do you practice this stuff all the time? 
the map has to get used to letting the mind relax and let go of its incessant habit patterns and clinging. It has to get used to it, used to it, used to it. Because that's the way the universe really is. How many people have ever been or know somebody, because it's not personal, of course, where, where the chatter in the mind, the stories and the chatter and the habit patterns is almost making you puke or has made you puke? Anybody? Made you puke? Well, it should. It's a good sign and insight practice where you get to the point where your attention is so good, you're seeing how destructive the incessant monologues are and you puke your guts out. Why? Because you're sick of it. Because it's not reality. It's simply the monologues all day long making a description of life, not how it is, but how it gets bound. Hmm? How it's bound. So what do we look for? We look for the examples in life that point directly to anicca, dukkha, anatta, non-clinging awareness. And we practice, practice, practice until the map shifts. That's it. That's it. If you don't have enough loving kindness to do that, you go practice loving kindness. Then you come back. You practice this practice, that practice, this practice, until you can bore in and stay with transient, illusory phenomena to bring you to the experience of letting the maps go. Now, to finish, so where are you going to look for rainbows? You might have some rainbows today. It's possible. Where would you find rainbows if you don't see them happening and you don't have a garden hose? Where are the rainbows you can find all the time? Hmm? You could imagine them, yes, but, but something, something closer to home. If that isn't. (laughs) Shalane's scarf, actually. All senses are rainbow-like. You're seeing rainbows right now. That's how you see. You're just seeing points of light all different colors. Go for it. It's all just light. Just light. Just gathering little points of light. Can you see all the colors? It's all there. So you can actually use this. Go around, look at things, and go, what am I seeing? I'm seeing rainbow light. What is this body? This one. I'm enjoying these clothing, right? What is this body? Go to, go feel your body. Go look at your body. There's a meditation that, that what well, I think was the first meditation that Namjoon appreciated, the first Buddhist meditation given to Mahasi Sayadaw in London was to meditate on the rainbow body, rainbow mandala in the hand until the rainbow bo- until the rainbow light of the elements came comes out. What else is your hand? Take a look at it. Nothing but rainbow light. All the five lights are there. Closer than your hands and feet. 
whole body insubstantial moving light show. So now we come to the mystical side of the rainbow body. In Tibet, in the Dzogchen tradition, they use a technical term. Uh, it's actually, well, J-A-L-U, but it's actually Luz. There's an S on the end. Uh, yeah, L, L-U, and then an S, but it's usually pronounced Jalu, but written J-A-L-L-U-S, Jalu, which is a concept of the rainbow body. Very fashionable today. Everybody's lots of people after being turning into the rainbow body. But this, um, this meditative uh, path is of such high accomplishment that not only does one experience rainbow-like phenomena, but one actually transforms the ele- elemental properties of one be- being back into the five pristine lights of wisdom. So all this stuff about rainbow light is actually very important when it comes to the tantric path, is that the the different colors correspond to the different wisdom, Buddha wisdoms. This is another. This is for next week. Okay, this is for next week. I'll give you an introduction to this. So when we practice awareness, we're actually practicing different frequencies of awareness. And at any given time, the frequency of our being has a different color: red, white green, blue, yellow, different colors of frequency. Sometimes we're very creative, very red. Sometimes we're very cool, very white or very blue. You see, different different colors depending on our physiology, depending on our quality of mind. These also correspond when they become purified into Buddha wisdoms. Five Buddha wisdoms which are called the five lights. The five lights of the rainbow. Of the enlightened of the enlightened Buddha body. This is why it's also very important in the Tantra tradition, rainbows. Why? Because when you see pure lights, see pure lights, you're getting closer to uh, getting closer to the what's called the Samboga level of experience, the bliss, emptiness, illuminated uh, light level of how an enlightened being would actually see a fully enlightened being, would actually see uh, the world as made up of pure lights. Normally we see impure light, clouded with emotional stories, views, and taints. Not just the obvious ones, but also the whales and the sharks. Do you see? As you pass the whales and the sharks, things get very, very radiant and very rainbow-like, of different colors, pure colors. But those pure colors are symbolizing that the mind is coming closer to the purification from view into a Buddha body. So it is possible by tradition, I haven't done it, I just give you the tradition, it's possible by tradition to have such a level of attainment in this life that one can supposedly, there's people and it's documented, so you think, okay, fuzzy stuff, but actually it gets documented Great yogis go in when there's a report of it and do eyewitness accounts because it happens every number of years that someone has the attainment to dissolve their physical form and not die, but actually bring about such a phenomenal return to the elemental lights of the wisdoms. Turn all these physical elements back into the 
into the Buddha light, that while living, their bodies start shrinking. Shrinking. It gets very small. Like this. Very small. And all that's left is their clothes and the fingernails and hair. That's it. That's it. And people witness, if they're around, they often witness, if they have the eyes to see, but often they witness, even for fairly calm people, a rainbows emerging from that being. Rainbow light emerging from that being. Or, t or rainbow light around where they, they're passing away. Very, very... It happens. And it happens regularly enough that it's, it's eyewitness. The last one, which a book has been written recently by Namkai Norbu, who went, uh, I think it was Namkai Norbu, went to Tibet and actually went to investigate it, is not only did Tibetans uh, witness it, but Chinese uh, military personnel witnessed it and documented it, because they were quite shocked. And one happened rec not too long ago, I think last 20 years, in a prison where the yogi actually vanished. They opened up the prison cell and all of it was just a crumple, bit of clothes and the fingernails and gone. So in that sense, the ability to transform impure vision into extraordinary purity has been, it gets accomplished by beings. Instead of just dying and entering into um, the Dharmakaya, the light of the uh, Buddhahood after death, it actually happens uh, in life. In some of the Vajrayogini practices, some of them are designed to do the same thing, except that you um, um, completely pass away. There's nothing left. It's actually considered to be even higher. Uh, it's rainbow body again, but in the, some of the Vajrayogini practices uh, is that you practice a degree where there's absolutely nothing left. The body just goes right into a pure land space. Closed and all. Everything. Gone. Completely. You just will open up the cave, the sealed cave, and there's nothing to be found. Have I witnessed this? No. So I, I, if I don't know something or I don't have firsthand, I, I'll tell you. But, but there's enough accounts of it. Enough accounts of it. Sometimes also, a being has enough attainment that uh, if you have the eyes to see, if you're looking at a certain um, a yogi, lama, a yogini, you may see their uh, ra the the rainbow body begin to manifest because you see them as completely transparent, or maybe as a shadowy outline. In other words, you might be looking at them or they might be in a long course, something like that, or teaching. And actually what you see, you see the wall right behind them. It's not just fuzzy eyes, but you can actually... Or you see the adornments. Um, instead of seeing their body, you might see the adornment of a crown, uh, a rainbow crown or a beautiful hat, or you'll see the clothing that's rainbow light, light but their actually body vanishes. There's one very famous picture, which is in here, of the Karmapa, the 16th Karmapa sitting on a throne, and all you can see is a kind of a fuzzy outline of his body, and the throne you can see right through. This is a year before he passed away, 1980, or 81. But he has it in the book here. Um, not really rainbow light, but he's using it as an example. Uh, one picture is a karmapa sitting on a throne, and the next picture someone took of a very fuzzy karmapa, where you can actually see the details of the throne behind the, behind the body. But this gets reported. This isn't something that's that unusual is the vanishing of a, uh, a yogi. But the passing into rainbow light uh, can happen after death. So what happens is some beings are su of such accomplishment 
and they practice certain practice of trechod, cutting through in the great perfection tradition, and togyo, uh, to the degree that a few beings, uh, there's eyewitness accounts of actually going into rainbow light. More commonly, and, and difficult to, is after death, the rainbow lights appear. That's, that's, that's more common. There's an account of the death of Milarepin here. Uh, at his cremation, quote, Then the funeral pyre appeared as a palace made of rainbow light, of rectangular shape with four gates and ornamented archways. Above this hovered canopies and umbrellas, also made of rainbow light. In the smoke, the sweet smell of incense arose, and within this billowing shroud, a multitude of clouds of offerings with parasols, victory banners, and so forth, were seen, all made of rainbow light. So this is the level of purity of some beings able to see uh, their teacher pass away um, into manifest rainbow light uh, after death. So that all the objects on the shrine uh, have their outer, inner, and secret, and most secret levels. The outer is what? A shrine bowl with water. The inner is what? Meditative experience of the uh, perhaps the mirror-like nature of the water or the, the vast space of water-like experience. The secret is what? The water-like level of the wisdom, wisdom mind, and so on. The small secret level, just pure nature awareness. So the transformation of impure appearances goes more and more to the metaphor and sometimes the experience of rainbow-like light. Crystal, yes, no, these are good signs. More crystal experiences, crystal-like mind, crystal, seeing things like crystal, crystal Buddhas, crystal Chortans, crystal teachers, various things like this, rainbow beings and so on. This is good, but don't get lost in the phenomena. No matter how beautiful and entrancing it is, it's what? We want liberation through insight. But what are the signs that can be happening? Rainbow or crystal-like phenomena of the mind, seen, heard, tasted, touched. Do you follow? So the descent of the ambrosial liquid means more purification. Symphonic music spontaneously engulfed in celestial music. What does it mean? It means more purification, but if a being is always experiencing hankering after that, then it's just clinging. So why is it saying the Mahamudra Zogchen text? No matter how incredible the meditation experiences become, do not cling to them. They're your downfall. What are you looking for? The stamp of emptiness. Don't be entranced by the lights. You want the light of awareness and the stamp of emptiness. That leads you to liberation. If you happen to die in rainbow light, excellent sign. (laughs) But you may not always see rainbow lights. You may see clearly and more clearly. Do you understand? Just clarity. Clarity. Clarity and naturalness. Clarity and naturalness. More clear. That's, that's plenty.
So yes, in some traditions, like in the Dzogchen traditions, there's yogis and lamas that keep track of all the beings that have passed. There's lists, lists of their dates, their birth dates, their death dates, and so on. All the circumstances, the whole thing is written up. They like to follow it. Why? Because yogis want proof. If someone says they left a footprint in there, let's go see the footprint and make sure it's not just a natural rock formation. They want they want to see it. It's kind of a, you know, show it to me. If they say, oh, our, our teacher passed into a rainbow body, okay, let's see the eye, let's hear the eyewitness counts. When it happened, how it happened, where was it happened, let's see, let's see, let's see the evidence. What was left behind? Let's take a look at the fingernails, let's take a look at the, the, the hair. So this is very, how do we say it? Let's see proof. Yeah. Okay, any questions about that? Any ideas about, are you pretty clear about what to do today? Rainbow? Contemplate rainbows. If you are, if you are feeling very, very good about at least spend some time with every class I give on a different example of illusion. Please give it some time in the day to do it so it gets sealed in there, okay? It gets in there. Because it might be very important for you to come back to it someday. But if you're engaged in something that's really unfolding for you, could even be clouds. Yeah. It could be movement of water. It could be the transient nature of light on the water. Whatever you're doing, uh, of these examples, and, it, it's, and it's actually feeling like you're interested. You can stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. It's okay. Even if it's right. Even if it's a transience of breath, transience of sensation, transience of, of things appearing and disappearing. It's great. Go for it. Go for it. It's just a matter of collecting enough data. Enough data. Enough data. With clarity, and you're and you're and you're, you're doing right there, Anne. Watch very closely the arising and especially the passing away. Get right down into the millisecond stages, millisecond, milliseconds. Yeah? That takes patience, doesn't it? Because you don't know how long the clouds are going to last, and you don't know quite when when it's going to come out of the out of the blue sky. Isn't that isn't that fun? Come on, come on, come on, come on, give me some phenomenal. Okay. Any questions at all? No. See, uh, does anybody have any, anybody want to see me this morning? Anybody have anything, burning issues? Are they burning up? Ready to pass into mm-hmm. to the light? No? Everybody's healthy and well? Sort of? Okay. Sort of? By this powerful activity, these powerful contemplations, may it lead to the cessation of fixation and suffering for all beings. Idante punikamanga sawaki wangho tu, idante punikamanga sawaki wangho tu, idante punikamanga sawaki wangho tu. 
Sabe Sata Sukhahuntu, may all beings be happy and healthy. May all beings be established in a continuum of freedom, the perfect union of wisdom and compassion. Sarmangalam, 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 Sarmangalam.